0: Very pleased to have today as my guest my good friend Steve Harmon, and after we talk a little bit about March Madness we'll be getting into a discussion about healing and deliverance. So what have I been up to? Um, writing a lot. <laughs> writing writing writing. Just getting all kinds of inspiration and stuff to write. How about those Bruins? <laughs> Dude, I have more disappointment than you do, because. I was born and raised in Wisconsin. <laughs> the Badgers got so close to taking out Duke. I mean, they beat Kentucky in the, you know, the Final yeah. Four, and That's then good. they lose to uh, Duke. And I was, my heart was broken a little bit there.
1: I, I, I wanted them to beat uh, Kentucky. I was like, yeah, please, please, don't let them, don't let them get that, that streak. Don't let them win it all. It'll take away some of the, the glory, yeah.
0: UCLA, <laughs> the glory of of John the John Wooden era Bruins. Yeah. I actually looked back this year at the incredible run that Wooden and the Bruins had in the 70s. It was ridiculous. Yeah. All the national championships and undefeated seasons.
1: Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah, it was. Uh, he did something very few ever did, and it was it was a style of coaching the way he did it.
0: I have some questions here. <laughs> I do have some questions. I actually <clears throat> created a list of questions, um, some of which I will use, and some of them I probably won't. Some will probably get answered as I talk. So you've been doing a lot of pretty much full-time ministry, I'm guessing. Yes. Every day. Yeah. Uh, how many How many hours a day do you, on average, do you minister to people?
1: Probably um,
0: about six to eight sessions a day
1: with people.
0: An hour each. Yeah. It's good that you put a time limit on it because otherwise it would go forever. Yeah, it can go forever.
1: It can go as long as – I mean, you can go as long as, as you feel like doing it. But it, because we're humans and, I mean, we can only take so much and the person can only take so much and you can only take so much. You, that's, that's a lot – I think how a lot of people get burnout is because they, they overextend themselves to, to do it wisely. There's so much that needs to be done. And they go, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll just keep doing this. We'll, we'll get this done faster. But you won't last if you try to keep pushing it too
0: long like that. Yeah, that's a problem that I run into quite often. I run into that with a lot of different things. I get, just get overwhelmed. You yeah. know? I feel like I have so much I have to do, and I only have so much time to do it. And uh, I, I do let myself get overwhelmed from time to time. And uh, then stress builds up, and then I start to, you know, kind of lose it from time <laughs> different things. And then I'm like, okay, I need to take a break. I, I'm not the energizer bunny. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I think when doing healing, it's easy to think that we've got to press through all this stuff and we got to keep going with it because that's what a good Christian is supposed to be.
0: Right, overcomer. I can overcome all this stuff.
1: Yeah. And we all think that, and we'll kind of, in a sense, be motivated by a little bit of guilt. Right. And uh, like, well, these people need me, and I need to help them out. Yeah. But um, it's just not wise. Uh, the enemy wants to. If if he knows that you're you're doing ministry, then he will want to take any of your fervor, and he'll want to push it to the extreme. Right. So you'll quit eventually. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. A lot of the people who end up getting into healing and deliverance are um, what, on the Myers-Briggs personality type, they're called, um, they're basically called guardians, guardi- the guardian personality type. And um, guardians are heavily motivated by a sense of duty. Uh, they feel a very strong duty and an obligation to further society, and to make things better for other people. And I'm one of those personality types. And people who are very duty bound are the kind of people who do this kind of stuff, do it well, but sometimes can't set boundaries, can't set limitations and end up just getting burned out.
1: Yeah. I don't get, you know, I don't feel you know, like I used to if I can't meet with every person or I can't I can't work with every person that asks. I just, I'll be straight up with them and I'll tell them I can't work with you right now because my plate's full. And yeah. if, if there's a point where it opens up, then I'll do it. But I won't overextend myself. I mean, there's times where I'll have open time, but I'm not going to fill that with, with appointments. Right. I have to keep that open. You,
0: you have, have to have some downtime okay. and
1: time for yourself. Yeah, you just have to and i've started to designate like fridays for myself as the time where i'm going to work pretty much on myself like the lord's been pressing upon me to do some inner healing for me and just stuff that i need to really focus on for myself it was like he said to me he said if you if you work on those issues it's going to make what you're doing on a daily basis work a whole lot better
0: yeah so that brings up that, that brings up my first question. Now, you and I have talked about this before, and this is something that is a hard nut to crack for a lot of people. They, they have a hard time with this, but you essentially believe everyone needs a significant level of healing, don't you? Yes. And probably on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Why do you believe that? I mean, I agree with you, but let's yeah. talk about why.
1: Yeah, well,
0: it's it's
1: defining first what is healing when we actually look at it. I think people look at healing and they'll think that healing is for people who have gone through severe abuse in the background. They've been living a difficult life growing up, and they make bad choices all the time. Those people need healing. That's
0: those kind are perception. Those are the obvious people that need healing. Yeah, but the not so obvious ones are a little more tricky. Yeah, and.
1: I, I guess I, if, if I look at what total healing delivered looks like, I look at Jesus. Right. And, then, and then I use that now as my template and my comparison of what true inner healing delivered look, looks like. Many people, you'll hear it all the time, they'll just say, I'm completely healed and I'm delivered. Thank God I'm delivered. Thank God I'm healed of that. Thank God I'm just set free. I'm set free now, living the life. When they're saying that, they're looking that... A comparison of what they perceive, perceive as being healing, and they, and in their mind, they've reached that that pinnacle. Um, but like I said, when you compare yourself now to Jesus, then it's like, oh,
0: no, I'm not there yet. Is that what a healthy person is supposed to look like? Well, maybe I'm not completely healthy then. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And and also too, there's the positive aspect of the finished works mindset that comes into all this. Right saying well, if we say that we're not healed, then we're declaring like a curse over ourselves or and there
0: you... is there is a positive and a negative side of the finished works, yeah, so and I know I know where you're going with this because some people take the finished works probably a little too far, and some people don't take it far enough i think
1: right when i when I taught my conference
0: this was up in uh in federal way, yeah at uh with Todd and Tammy. So,
1: so the first session was basically about why we need healing. And then I had to use the finished works concept and define what I believe it means. Because the it in finished works is where we all have a fork in the road and we go in different directions. Because Jesus doesn't define what it means. Right. Uh, and many people do. <laughs> so Right. <laughs> w- when I look at the finished works, and he said, it is finished. I'm looking at the concept of righteousness. Your righteousness is taken care of. It's not even so much about God's love for you. Like, I believe that God had already loved us before Jesus did anything on the cross with 100% love.
0: Right. So the crucifix, the crucifixion wasn't necessary for God to love us. He already loved us.
1: Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So before the world ever repented or did anything good, he already did already chose to love the world by uh, slaying Jesus before the foundations of the world. So it was already determined that uh, the act of love for humanity was going to be done not based on human human effort. So, so when the cross happened, what instantly changed is that righteousness was imputed on the people who were in the household of faith, who just believed on Jesus, being him being you're the propitiation for my sin. I can't do anything. So I accept you as, as being that and instantly righteousness gets imputed on you. You'll go to heaven and uh, you'll live for an eternal life from that point on. So righteousness is already done. You're already in right standing with God. You can go to the Father without anything. But the, but, the other thing that just didn't happen when that happened is your body didn't get instantly healed and all your emotional issues
0: didn't get taken care of. Right. And it's, some people believe that that actually happened.
1: Right. And I'm, and I, and I'm still so trying kind of <laughs> to use the logic in that. I know. <laughs> it's kind of like the person the who I make a joke about is where it's like they're dragging their leg and they go, I'm healed. I'm healed. Can't you see it? I'm healed. I'm like, okay, I understand what you're doing. Word of faith, trying to bring up that, that, that bag again. but The finished
0: uh, works. Yeah, It's all done. It's all finished.
1: I'm, I'm healed. I'm dragging my leg. Okay, yeah, just keep. I know. I, I, there are people, it, you, it, it, it works, but it re, there's a reason why it works in some context, and there's a reason why it didn't work in many other contexts. You already saw this in the Word of Faith movement. It already happened. People were already doing the same thing, saying the same thing. And it had a huge fallout because many people tried doing that for years and years, and they got really disillusioned and angry and hurt over it. Yeah, um, because that is something Scripture never said to do. It never said to declare yourself that you're healed. I, I know we're taking by your strikes, we're healed, but it never says in Scripture any among you are sick. Have somebody from the church come over and explain the finished works message that you're already healed, all you gotta see <laughs> is that you're healed and set free, and just keep declaring that over and over, and that will make you healed. It doesn't say that anywhere.
0: It I think, are you sure that's not in 4th Peter chapter 2? <laughs> <laughs> so, because it's worked
1: with some people, we've made a huge religion out of it. Right. All, a theology, right. sorry. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's the problem, is is that we we people will see results from methods, and then they make this blanket statement that it's going to work
0: for yeah. everybody else that way. So let me ask you this. Um, I got an email, and I get a lot of these, actually. The Lately, in the last few weeks, I've been getting tons of these emails from people who are wondering, you know, why they haven't been healed in light of the fact that, and this is how the, the letter usually goes. I've repented of every sin I can think of. I've gone through SOZO. I I've, I've feel like my emotional healing has been completed. Um, I don't hold any unforgiveness towards anyone. I've forgiven everybody I can think of. I've had you know 300 people pray over me, and I'm still not healed. What's wrong? This is the big question everyone's asking, and, and I get this all the time. Uh, and with one woman who recently sent me a message of this nature, I said, uh, well, let me ask you one question. Do you have any memories from your childhood that are disturbing, painful, or cause emotional problems? And she wrote back and she said, well, actually, no. My conscience is completely clear. I got completely emotionally healed. Everything in my life is great. And uh, Jesus has healed me completely. How do you respond to something like that? Um, I go, have you ever gotten ticked off lately? Have you ever
1: gotten offended by somebody? did somebody say something and all of a sudden you got really ticked off because of the way that they said it to you? Well, why do you think you got angry when they said it to you that way and they said it to somebody else that way and they didn't get angry? Why did you get angry that way? And that'll tell you your answer of why there's something there that you haven't seen. Right. Uh, when Jesus says, uh, you should know them by their fruits, he's, you know, the scripture says, uh, you know he he talk about um, there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end destructs- leads to the death leads to death yeah there's other scriptures that make the point that we think we know our hearts we think we know ourselves but we don't right as good as we think we do i mean right. we know ourselves to an extent but some people will be in more denial than others and and some people it's not necessarily the issue or the issue of being in denial sometimes it's just not knowing how to recognize things right like like what i said we we'd kind of write off being irritated as well everybody gets irritated over something like that anybody would be that mad okay jesus wouldn't get that mad though or right. he wouldn't get mad at all okay if he is the standard and he wouldn't respond that way why are you responding that way
0: yeah, and, and I think that's that's the key thing that I'm noticing is, you know, in my own life, I get offended at certain things, and I'm still working through in my own soul and my own spirit why it is that I take offense at certain things. Why do they trigger a response when other things don't? Why does this trigger a response and that one doesn't? And I know that I think a lot of that is because I've got some soul wounds and some, you know, fragments and maybe a couple of altars, who are down there hanging out, being offended, being triggered whenever these things come up, whenever these issues come up that are related to things that have happened in my past. And I have not been healed of them yet. And uh, I think with a lot of people, they are a little reluctant to admit that they've got either reluctant to admit that they've got these issues that that you have yet to be dealt with or no one has actually explained to them how this operates.
1: Right. Sometimes it's an issue of pride. Uh, We don't like talking about that, but a lot of times we want to have an appearance of looking pristine. And pride is is a real ugly word in Christianity, but if you look at why we operate in pride, pride is a a defense mechanism. Pride is there because we're hurt. There are some things that, we've seen that we don't like and pride is a way to cover that
0: right pride is a way sw- it, it allows you to sweep your dirt under the rug and pretend right. it's not there essentially
1: because yeah, it's painful
0: i don't i don't want to look at it i i, I don't want
1: to or see that i have flaws that i don't operate perfectly in areas and it hurts so i'm going to cover it with pride i'm going to use pride as a as a way to as a way to to, to keep it hidden when we see people operate in pride, it looks really ugly, but if we see it from Jesus' perspective, it's just like any other problem, and and you still would want to have compassion on a person who is operating in pride, it's just that sometimes you have to work a little different when, when somebody is working in that pride, um, but pretty much the reason why people are working in pride is because they're trying to cover up hurts, things that they're ashamed of, things that they don't want to even look at. It's just a defense mechanism. And uh, and then again, we have the issue of people not being able to spot these problems. So they don't even know it's a problem. Some people just didn't have the parents even growing up or just the common knowledge of how to relate to people and, and to say, if I'm talking to you and I can't tell if you're getting irritated. I can't tell if you don't want to talk to me because I can't recognize your body language. I can't recognize the signs. it's like that in ourselves. We can't recognize the signs that this is unhealthy, that the behavior I'm walking in is unhealthy because we've just never been shown that. And once you get a grid for that, then you can start seeing it. So like with me, I couldn't see that certain things were an issue in my life uh, because I never knew anything about inner healing or deliverance. And it was when I started doing inner healing and deliverance and I started to see people who have these flaws who have these issues and I had to learn what that meant and what this means and why they do what they did and the Lord would show me those reasons then I could start seeing that in myself I can't tell you how many times I've done ministry with somebody and some amazing revelation happens with them they get healed of something and I'm talking to them, working with them, but at the same time, I'm having another dialogue in my head of,
0: going, of saying, wow, that makes sense why I do what I do. It exactly. exactly. It's crazy, <laughs> isn't it, how when you start working with people who have these issues, all of a sudden you start connecting the dots in your own life and realizing, wow, that's why I react this way. That's why I, it's really amazing if you're if you're open to it, if you're open yeah. to you know the Holy Spirit sort of shining the light on your life as well as theirs it's really yeah. it's really cool,
1: yeah, because like I said, if you keep using Jesus as a template and believing that we can operate at his level and and being honest with yourself and saying hey i'm I'm just totally not <laughs> I'm not at his level, and I'm not seeing the fruit that he had exactly, I'm seeing fruit, but it's nothing close to that, which means hey, it can be more and and I want it, so that means I'll be." Desperate enough to admit where I'm wrong, desperate enough to admit that I am failing at this area. doesn't mean I'm a failure, but I'm I'm failing in this area, and it's okay. It doesn't define who I am. It just uh, shows me where
0: I need to go. That's all. Uh, It doesn't define who you are.
1: Yeah, and that's a huge thing.
0: That is a huge thing, isn't it? It is. Because don't we kind of let our conditions and our circumstances and what people say about us define us and give us our identity.
1: I've understood that for a couple years now, but it really made it clear, I'd say a couple months ago when I was talking to a friend of mine and we were have, having an argument. And and I was like saying, "Hey, you know, this you, you have an issue in this area, obviously it needs to change because of of the circumstances of your life, this, this really needs to change because it's causing a lot of problems. And he was getting so defensive, so defensive, and, and he was just fighting it. And I'm, and I'm trying to say it as gently as possible. And then it was starting to just really hit me why he was getting so defensive. And it, and it was because he was just retranslating what I was saying. To me, it sounded perfectly logical. Like, why would you be so offended? I'm not attacking you. Me saying that he failed in this area, not so blatantly, but just implying that he failed in this area, was being translated in his head,
0: you're a failure. You're a failure, right. So he was sort of feeling like you were putting a label or a stamp on his life that he is a failure. Yeah. And And he did not want to accept that or felt like the implications of it were too heavy. Right,
1: and and that's why people have a bad taste of correction in, in, in church a lot of times, or just in life, because uh, w- we look at uh, correction as is, is meaning you're defining us, you're defining right. who I am. It doesn't change your identity, I mean, we know, we, we should theologically know that, but that's how it gets misconstrued in our heads, so when we take, or when we look at correction, we just go, oh, you're attacking, you're, you're, you're coming at me, you're trying to hurt me you 're trying to just tell me that i'm something that I'm not which is which is what the enemy's doing that's it, it's a demonic spirit in the person telling them that you know what they're saying they're just telling you that you're not good enough you are a failure and and, and so don't stand for it don't stand for it fragment hears that part in them hears that and they fight back they fight back no because they're fighting for their identity
0: they're fighting for the identity because the purpose for all of the soul children is to protect the core of the identity. In a way, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. They're trying to keep them in a
1: stable condition and uh, attacking that would devastate them. That's why I had to change the way I spoke to my friend and and bring that caveat in here. and, and, and I had to reframe my correction. And I had to make make it very clear that it didn't define him as who he is. So I said, hey, just want you to know you failed in this area, but it doesn't mean you're a failure. And it doesn't mean that I think that you're any less of a person in my eyes that way. You're still an amazing person. You're still an awesome Christian. This is just, you just messed up here. That's all it means.
0: Do you think that a lot of people have a hard time Looking into their lives and seeing the mess that's there for what it is because they feel like if they admit that their life is a mess, then they're going to have to somehow believe that Jesus did not accomplish what he should have done on the cross.
1: Yeah, there's that too. There's a lot of things that it can mean. So there's
0: this fear that goes
1: along with it. Like I said, all the implications of what that corrective word means to them just goes erratic in their head. You're, this is what you meant by that statement. You don't like me. You, you're saying this because you don't like me. You know, now they're like thinking that you're trying to push them away. Maybe what other people did in their past. Cause sometimes when it comes to the world and the way maybe parents have used it or friends, when they did speak out words to them that were about correction, it had to do with their frustration is in the sense of, if you don't change the way you are, I'm leaving. So there's a condition on that. Like, if you don't change the way you are, you're, I'm leaving. And I, I can't tell you how many times they've been defined by, by those things where I've had, I've had people that said, uh, one of my friends, his dad had said to him, you know, you're, you're trash. You're, you're nothing to me. And, and he said when he was a little baby, his dad, took him and put him in the trash just to be funny, just to show him, you know, that put him in the trash. So if, if anybody tries to say some of the things that his dad said to him, they're, he's assuming that they're calling him trash and that you're nothing and you're garbage. You have no value.
0: Right, because more than likely at that point in his life, because he was such a small child and didn't understand what that meant, he probably formed an altar or a fragment that responded to that particular incident. And whenever somebody called him trash after that, he had that same response. And, and that's, I think, what's going on with a lot of us. When your parents say, if you don't do this, I'm going to do that. As, as a child, you don't understand how to deal with that. So you develop this response, this reaction. You you know sometimes create fragments and alters. And then as you become an adult when you're confronted with that same the same statement you react the same way you did when you were a child because you really haven't grown and haven't learned figured out what that really means outside of the context of my parents used to do this or my babysitter used to do this
1: it just triggers old memories it triggers all the emotions that are similar to what they were feeling at that time and what they felt at that time was rejection and and abandonment
0: so ultimately what people need to do is they need to be healed of those wounds and being shown a new way to respond to those um, situations
1: yeah like after that time where me and my friend we talked and we had a a good heart-to-heart like I had I had to wait to talk to him when he calmed down because when I was talking to him he was getting so agitated, so angry I couldn't even logically speak to him like he couldn't process what I was saying. It's agitated to such a high level It can't think rationally right now so I have to wait Cooler heads are prevailing then calm down then we can talk and I had to change the way I spoke because if I'm getting irritated too the tone of your voice will trigger things. I, I can't tell you even even when I do um, inner healing with some people, say if I'm being really firm and I'm saying you need to do this and I'm speaking it like that, you know, you need to, you need to take this word and repeat this and say it like this. Then they're going to say, why are you yelling at me?
0: Why are you yelling at me? Your tone of voice reminds them of someone who
1: spoke to them like that. Right. And so they're, that they're thinking you're, you're hating them or you're, you don't like them or something like that. So again, Just calm yourself down. Very, you know, eloquent. And the better you talk, the better results you'll get. Yeah. Uh, So, like with him, I calmed down and just said, "Hey, that's not what I'm saying. This is what I mean." And then just slowly. Part of the thing is, is that you're gonna want to want to control yourself when you talk. Just remember, make your words come out slowly. Make them come out slowly. Don't make them come out fast. And, and then and bring the tone down. Don't don't speak louder don't try to talk louder wait for them to talk don't talk over them. Those are some basics that I think would help a lot of people's communication and relationships if they learn to operate like that I've had to do it I mean there's many times me and my girlfriend over the years we'd argue and she'd get angry she'd start talking louder and then I'd start start talking louder and when you talk over each other it just escalates yep so i i hated the irritation of getting angry when i would argue and so i i had to force myself to just control myself and i'd talk in a real monotone controlled slow pace when i would speak and it would help me it i don't know if it would help her but it would help me because <laughs> then I could, better. <laughs> I could think better, and then I wouldn't say things that would be so irrational. It's when you let your emotions take over and that fragment can come up, right. and, and you you give way to it, and then you say stupid things. That then you you're didn't. liable to say anything.
0: Yeah, because you're not in control anymore now. Right. You, give- you have a magic wand, and you can wave this magic wand and make any doctrine about God disappear. Which doctrine do you get rid of? Which is the doctrine that you hate the most? Of course, you know what that is. <laughs> I do know what it is, but the yeah. listeners don't. Yeah, I know. Um, is God in total control? Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. God is not in total control. That's the, To me, that is the foundation. That is, if, if you're building a house and you have to put that slab of concrete down, that's the slab of concrete. So if if you have to change that slab of concrete, that means you have to tear down the entire house.
0: Right, exactly.
1: (laughs) It's a huge overhaul. Because
0: your entire theology and the way you view yourself, the world, and God is all built on that particular question, is God in control or not?
1: Right, everything comes down to that. And it will define the way you live your life. And it'll define how you see yourself. It'll define how you see the world in that in that frame of mind. Because if you believe God thinks this way about you, which is negative, and that way about people, well, then you're going to take on the same tone as your father in heaven. Because he's the example. He's the leader. You want to be like him. So if he has a lot of anger issues, he's got impatience. If he is merciless. If he is uh, irrational and erratic at times, well, then if he does it, why shouldn't you? Why is not it not okay for you to do that or act that way?
0: Right, because essentially we believe that we're being conformed into his image. Yeah. And if we see his image as a, a vengeful, angry God, well, then that gives us the green light to become vengeful and angry. Yeah. I mean,
1: and that's why a lot of Christians act that way is because they believe God's that way. It, they're, they are in the image of their daddy, their God, their father in heaven. That's what they think he's like. So, I mean, I ha- if he acts out, why not me be that way? You know, when you see certain Christians out on the street with the megaphone, well, they look at they look at the Old Testament. They don't look at Jesus. You know, didn't realize that Jesus never did any of, the, any of that. And even though Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and the prophets aren't the image of the invisible God. They're just the spokesman. But it doesn't mean that their actions and the way that they said it and the way that they did it were necessarily approved by God. And the way that God had wanted to do it word, word by word. They look at that and then they emulate that. And, uh, and that's why we have such a misconception of God in Christianity because of a misdistorted image of who he is. The image is distorted, and I believe that's number one what the demonic goes after, if they distort his image. Before they even distort your identity, they'll distort his identity. Because if they distort his identity, then everything uh, could be undone. Even if you have a good image of yourself and you believe God loves you, well, you're going to have difficult times in your life, and then you're going to come to that point that God's allowing this or causing this to happen to you, and that will really challenge, well, does he really love me? Does he really love me like it says in my identity? Is he really? Uh, am I really his beloved child? Well, why is he not treating me like one? You know. So situations are going to challenge that, and the image of God is is definitely the most important thing.
0: That is what I would want
1: to attack the most is is that theology. That, and that's so. What I,
0: so you wake up tomorrow, and the doctrine that God is in total control has been wiped off the face of the earth. What does the planet look like? <laughs> never thought about that. <laughs> Christians taking
1: responsibility, yeah. <laughs> Christians <laughs> Christian taking responsibility,
0: responsibility for their own lives.
1: Yeah, and, and and actually not waiting around, believing that God is doing everything, you know, magically. If God and, wanted
0: to heal me, he would just sovereignly heal me?
1: Yeah, all that stuff would start changing and I mean, yeah, it would be a drastic shift. Why don't you ask me uh, my other theology that I'd like to have eradicated?
0: Okay, so that was number one. So you have one more bullet left in your, in your magic wand, and you can get rid of another doctrine about God or the church. What is it? Okay, I'm, I'm not afraid of losing friends over this. Uh, this is why I talked about
1: it recently. Uh, it's the eschatology. And I'm not an eschatology buff. Uh, that's why I don't really – I don't get into eschatology, but I will get into eschatology when I believe that it's stopping progress in the church and in the world. Right. My, my ultimate goal in everything is to see the earth transform. I want to see
0: it transformed for the kingdom. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The, are you, what are you trying to do? Say, like, we should make earth like heaven or something? Kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> so... Radical, radical, yeah, you know, <laughs> so
1: I believe that that is what this is all about, and it, it it blows my mind that christians that there are Christians out there that believe that's a heresy, I mean, well, okay, it doesn't blow my mind, I mean, it blows my mind that they would not think about the logic behind that, that they wouldn't even really think why that it would be such a bad thing, even if it was a heresy, you know hypothetically, but um it came up, I think, the whole dominion, kingdom, or what is it, kingdom now, whatever. You know, it, it came up because what it does is it opposes a certain eschatology. Anytime in the evangelical world where these theologies get challenged, it will get the label heresy. And, and if you look at what heresy really is, heresy is a consensus disagreement on something. You can't really define uh, there's no well, actually there's no there's no book or no judge that can really say hey this is what true heresy really is. It's more of a consensus thing. It's right. what the majority believes.
0: Back in the back in the early church when people rose up and had weird doctrines about salvation and you know the, the church and all this stuff, church elders and councils would meet and they would essentially debate and discuss and and vote and say this is a heresy because it doesn't line up with all this other stuff, and that's sort of the where the idea of heresy came from. right
1: I mean it, yeah, that's just the concept. It's just more of a group of people got together and just said this is this is right and this is wrong, and it, it just came from both when it comes to eschatology when, when i when I see an eschatology out there that says it's a seven year tribulation, a rapture and this antichrist figure, and it's going to come in and destroy the world, and or, you know, God is going to destroy the world because the world has become so evil, uh, then that flies in the face of a lot of things. Number one, it does fly in the face of, is God good? Uh, or, or saying that God is good because, oh, people are so bad that he wants to kill them all? He just wants to kill them all because they're so bad. Well, okay. Why is he waiting till then? I mean, there's places where he, people are so bad right now. I mean, oh, he's waiting till everybody's really bad. But if there's people on the, on the earth, why would he want to try to kill the earth? Oh, well, we have another doctrine for that. We'll pull him out of the earth. And now he's got them all to himself. So you'll kill him. And then after they all die, then you'll put him in another form of judgment and then we kill him again. It's like, okay. Um, but the biggest problem with that, with that eschatology, is that it's a new eschatology. It's really new, and most Christians don't know it. Because it gets talked so much, and it's preached so much in churches, to the unlearned Christian, they're thinking that this has been around forever. It's, it's only been around for a short amount of time. It was devised in the 1830s by John Darby. He created this eschatology. No church father ever believed any of this. None. Nobody. They believed that Jesus was going to return again, and they were waiting, waiting for Jesus to come again. John Wesley believed that all this stuff in, in Matthew 24 and partly in Revelation already happened. That's why the Methodist movement was all about saving souls, because he believed that the world could be transformed by the time Jesus returned. The same thing with uh, Charles Spurgeon. He believed this. That everything Matthew twenty four the all the discourse this all happened in, in in all of it happened by seventy A.D. and then then Revelation the book of Revelation was a timeline all the way from the point that Adam got or no that John got the Revelation till the time Jesus returned so it's just that each chapter is like an age or a hundred years or two hundred you know it's kind of mixed in like that over over this the, the period. Of, of time since Jesus is supposed to return so and, and so if you look at the book of Revelation primarily all you're seeing is what's going on in the spirit realm not necessarily the natural realm but the way people look at it is they say oh no that's just a metaphor for what's happening in the natural realm no it doesn't say that that's the way you've been interpreting it through that eschatology if you look into the spirit realm it looks that crazy and it looks that weird we're praying for somebody with an ankle that needs to get healed, and all of a sudden there's lightning, there's flashes, there's angels you know, hitting another big dragon or something going on. It looks like you know this fantasy world, but that's all just happening when we're doing something like that. I'm just making a point that things in, 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 the, in the supernatural realm don't work like they do in the natural right. realm. Most of the people, the church fathers, believe this already all happened. It all took place. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they go, it's obvious that this stuff has not happened yet. I go, then why didn't all the church fathers really, who translated it, who gave you the Bible that you have today, why didn't they see it that way then? Why did it take a guy in 1830 to see it like this?
0: So let me ask you this question. Uh, In the practical way that the average believer walks out their life, how does their eschatology – Uh, impact living the gospel, advancing the kingdom? How does it change the way they behave?
1: The problem I have with that eschatology is if you believe God is going to kill the world over a span of seven years, that means it's already set in stone. So if you want to try to transform your cities and your nation, well, it's already saying good luck.
0: Not going ha- not, not
1: to can happen. Yeah. To me, that is, sounds like a doctrine of demons. That sounds like demons wrote that in there. I mean, it sounds like a perfect propaganda
0: tool. So you're saying it's demonic eschatology?
1: It, it, it sounds it, it sounds. like it. Let me give you – I'll give you some more examples in a minute. But the point is it, it's like what is a, a, an opposing army do to the other group that they're trying to conquer? They Demoralize. Form. Yeah, and they drop in propaganda leafs or right. uh, pamphlets and, and, and tell you a bunch of lies so it'll discourage you so you won't want to fight. If that's really what that eschatology is doing. It's like saying this, hey, I know you're playing this game, and uh, you guys are down by three runs, three points. But I just came back from the future, and I already saw that you guys are going to lose. You're not going to go out there and give 110% because you know it's it's – it's vanity. It's, all it's, it's for nothing. Why even try now? I mean, it makes perfect sense. And I said, I go, if I'm, what I'm believing is wrong, and all the other church fathers are wrong too, because many of them held to what I'm, I'm believing, do you think Jesus is going to say, hey, Steve, how dare you not believe that the seven-year tribulation and the rapture and the Antichrist concept is not true? How dare you? Is he gonna is he gonna kick me out of heaven, or is am I not gonna go to heaven because of that? Or is he gonna be really even disappointed with me because I showed that I didn't believe it by going out there trying to transform my city? I mean that that's ludicrous. I can't go out there and and want to try to fulfill the Great Commission by transforming people, discipling nations. I mean that that's what Jesus wanted us to do. I'm just doing what he said to do. I go, why fault me on what he said to do? He didn't say to sit in your house, do nothing, wait for Jesus to come. I mean, be ready. Oh, yeah, okay, that's the thing. Be ready. we got to be ready. What does being ready mean then? Because what I saw being ready meant was doing what the apostles were doing and the disciples were doing in the book of Acts. That's being ready. It meant going out and transforming nations. Going, preaching the gospel to all people, healing the sick, casting out demons, that's being ready. And, 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 and fellowshipping, you know, doing whatever, being ready. If you look at that eschatology, the rise of cults came from after that eschatology. And if you take Jehovah's Witness eschatology and you take, um, even some of Seventh day Adventists, much of their doctrines were influenced heavily by that eschatology. Right especially Jehovah's Witness. You remove yeah. this eschatology, they're screwed. Because everything's built off of Armageddon. Everything's built off of uh, off of this this uh apocalypse that's supposed to come. And and so they just go you know, everything is about let's preach everything, let's keep preaching until the day of Armageddon. To remove this eschatology, they're screwed. If it wasn't for John Darby, I don't think we'd have the Jehovah's Witnesses around. Well. And so many splinter doomsday cults. Everything's built off of this. Why? Because what does this cult, or what does this
0: doctrine really do? Are you telling me that you do not have a case of spam and an AK-47 and ammunition in your closet? (laughs) Well, I did at one point. Sorry, I had to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And a generator, yeah. And a generator, yeah.
1: But... If you look at it, I mean, all these splinter cults come up from this. And what is the chief motivation behind everything of all this?
0: Fear. 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 And fear is is the face of hell.
1: Right. And so how did the Jehovah's Witnesses try to witness to you? They used fear, telling you there's an Armageddon coming, telling you that everything's going to get bad. How does a lot of Christians do it today? Telling you everything's getting bad. Look at the signs of the times.
0: Better get saved before the rapture comes.
1: Right. So that's why you need to repent because – You need to preserve yourself. It's all about the motivation is preserving yourself. It's a selfish reason. Go out there because, hey, you don't want to die, right? Okay. That's why you want to do it. So you have very few people actually entering into a loving relationship with God because the whole uh, I'm only with God now because I don't want to die. So I live my entire life of my Christianity just making sure that I don't die. It's really a selfish
0: reason. Yeah, you know, and, and
1: so you wonder yeah, so why.
0: So your gratefulness comes from the fact that you're not going to be one of those people that's destroyed when he comes and wipes out the earth.
1: Yeah. I mean, you just, I don't want to die. I mean, it's not so much even about a relationship with God. I just follow the rules so I don't die. You know, that, that's where <laughs> Satan was right in the book of Job where he said, skin for skin, what will a man give for his own life in return? In other words, that's all humanity's real main goal is, is that they care about themselves. They're just like us they're just yeah. as self-centered and selfish as us. It's kind of a prison camp mentality. Yeah. So people so that right there it when you push people into repenting for that reason, then they live this this entire christianity thing out of fear. And they don't get to experience the love of God. They don't get to experience true freedom because they're always worried. They're not living in peace, they're not living in rest because they're looking at everything getting bad. Oh, God, come, Lord Jesus, come, rapture us, get us out of here. You know, and it's just all this fear. And 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 they don't, they, there's no fruit of the Spirit coming out of them. There's no peace. The enemy uses it as a, as a tool. And then when they realize that things aren't getting as bad as they thought, then they just go back to their old lifestyle because they only repented because they were afraid of, of getting judged. It wasn't a real conversion in the first place. They just, because they never even met God. It was just all out of fear. Like in 9-11 happened, you know, everybody goes into the churches. Why? Because they're afraid because, okay, the, the doomsday people are right. It is getting bad. And then they get in there and everything just kind of, kind of goes back to normal. So they go back to what they're doing. Why? Because it wasn't real. God doesn't use fear as a tactic to get people saved. He uses love. It's his kindness that re, uh, brings people to repentance because he knows when it actually happens it's genuine and, a, and true change begins to happen in people's lives. So when a person is living their life off of that premise, I got to do it I, or else, then they don't see the fruit and the favor that God wants to give them. They, and, and so they wonder why their prayers aren't being answered. They wonder why so many things are just not working. When Jesus said it's supposed to work and it's just not working, and they get frustrated. I mean, that's just not that's not the only reason, but it's just one of the main reasons there's so much fruitlessness in the lives.
0: Well, I will tell you this. You know, I got saved reading Left Behind. I know a lot of people that have. Yeah. Yeah. I was <laughs> encouraged to go. <laughs> <laughs> now, this was back in 2000 when it first came out. The series was brand new. And uh, through a weird set of circumstances, you know, I was an atheist at the time. And, you know, the book really did scare the hell out of me. Yeah. I mean, it did create a lot of fear. Now, God was able to use that fear To snatch me from uh, darkness. But the interesting thing is, you know, during the seven years that I was sort of going to a a mainline evangelical church that was teaching, uh, you know, the pre tribulation um, eschatology, there was no fruit in my life at all. None. Nothing. Never saw anybody healed. Wasn't into deliverance. Didn't even believe in any of this stuff. And then in 2007. Things radically shifted, and since then, uh, I rarely, if ever, think about you know that type of eschatology. You know, wonder is Jesus yeah. going to come back tonight? I used to wonder every night. I go to would go to sleep. Is Jesus coming back tonight? Is the rapture going to happen tonight? Because most of the leaders in the church I was in were all you know just getting people. Most half of the sermons they gave were basically end times briefings on. What's going on with Israel, why this covenant's gonna be signed, why the yeah. you know, why the Antichrist is probably alive right now and why he's building up power and all this stuff. And so the whole narrative of that of the church that's involved in that dynamic really has nothing no need at all for Building and advancing the kingdom and once I got out of that once God basically closed the door on that part of my life and said look I don't want you going to these churches anymore. I have a different plan. I have a different thing I'm doing and then he started teaching me about healing and and deliverance and stuff My life got totally flipped upside down I don't really know what I believe anymore as far as eschatology goes, but I do know one thing I know that uh, as long as I focus on the kingdom I believe God is building through us, that he has given us the um, the mandate to establish and advance the kingdom and destroy the kingdom of darkness. I am not only loving my life as a believer, I, I love, you know, kicking the enemy in the ass every day <laughs> in the morning and going, somebody is going to get a butt kicking today. So if there's a demon, if there's sickness around, they are going to get hurt today. Um, I really am having a good time. Teaching, training, equipping, getting some people set free. Just taking it to the kingdom of darkness. I mean, you know, the, the kingdom of darkness has wrecked so many people's lives. And I don't know, I, maybe I have some sick sense of retribution. I just like giving it a little back to them.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I remember I had somebody else that said, you know, they got saved through the Left Behind series. and um, And I said, okay, I mean – I got, the way I recommitted my life was through somebody I totally disagree with, their theology. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so they go, see, God uses. I go, yes, God can use anything. I go, I know people who got saved because they went to the Mormon church first. Okay, so, uh, so does that mean that the Mormon church is right? No, I'm just saying that God will use certain things. I've seen people get, uh, where, where they see demons or they go to hell. And they get saved because of that, because it pushes them in, a, in an area. That doesn't mean it's it's the best way. The, the good is the enemy of the best. Right. And, and, and so my point is, is that there are better ways to do this. There are better ways to get people into the kingdom that we don't have to. Get, because like I said, you and me and other people are the are the exception. But there's many that didn't make it. There's many that did get in through fear and then fell all the way back. Because it right. never stuck. And, and, we, and we're, we're luck, lucky that we actually went to the other side in that, in that process, but many just don't. And I've seen people that live their Christianity out of fear, and they go, because when you're living it out of fear, it's, again, it's all about works and rules. And then you realize you can't do this anymore, and then you go, screw it. I'm just going to go off into the world. It, it, was, it was tougher being a Christian than it is living in the world.
0: You know, one of the things that I, I noticed a lot when I was in the denominational church was there was all, everybody was always questioning your salvation. If you said something, believed something, did something odd, your salvation was always up for question. It's like, you know, are you even saved? Yeah. Like, what kind of people go around doing that? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, and, and that's why they're trying to every week. It's like, I got to follow
1: these rules to make sure I stay safe. To do. That's what they may, mean by this Christian life is tough is because I have to follow these rules to maintain my righteousness and my salvation. And and, and the enemy puts that on you because fear is your end, you motivator to, to 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 stay in line, to stay obedient to God. Don't get off the hamster wheel. Yeah, just keep doing that over and over. And eventually you'll get tired. And and unless you get thrown into the other world of grace and you, and you realize, oh my gosh, he's, he's not a dictator like I thought he was. And Jesus did finish my righteousness. Uh, just on that, that topic of eschatology, if people want to believe that, fine. Okay. Again, it's all, all eschatologies are theories. The thing is though, don't let it stop you from doing what Jesus said to do. He said to right. both nations to preach the gospel, disciple them, heal the sick, cast out demons, lay hands on the sick. If you can do that and still believe that and and go to San Diego or or San Francisco or New York and come there with a motive to change the city and die trying, hey, go ahead. Believe that. That's what right. tells you all you want. Just don't let it define your lifestyle, which is what I hate of that eschatology it defines your lifestyle it defines many Christians lifestyle and they don't have the motivation to go out there and change things because they already believe it's going to get worse and it can't get better because they 100% believe that this eschatology is a fact it is not a fact it's a it's it's a theory
0: yeah and and that's what I that's you know the take home message I think for people is they need to realize it, there are probably 13 or 14 different significant eschatological views out there that you can embrace you know um, amillennialism uh, pre-tribulation you know there's uh, partial preterism total preterism there's all these different views and they're all theories Um, what I have studied all of them and what I came to the to believe and realize is all of these different views of eschatology uh, are, are biblical they all have scriptures that back them up however they also all have huge holes in them where you can pull in other verses from scripture and pretty much just destroy any one of them yeah Um, it's really it's very difficult to pick one view of eschatology that's that is scripturally the best because they all sort of you know have to eventually you end up doing these uh gymnastics where you have to say well you know yeah, that's true about this thing, and you have all these really good uh, objections to my, to my theological view, but, you know, it's still the best view that's out there. <laughs> I am still looking. I actually have developed kind of my own view of eschatology, um, which is a little bit weird, and I'm not going to go into it here. I have really de-emphasized eschatology in the last five or six years. I don't talk much about it. I don't write much about it because God doesn't speak to me much about it. What he does speak to me a lot about is advancing the kingdom, uh, going out there and healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. That's the stuff that I tend to focus on more yeah. and more. I, I, eschatology to me is, is such a minor issue. Yeah. For me personally, I really don't even like to get into discussions about it much.
1: Yeah, I, I for me, I, I haven't talked about it in all my times, of like when I've written on Facebook. I only talked about it in the last year because I realized – I'm talking to a lot of evangelicals.
0: <laughs> yes, you are. You're, you're, reaching, you're reaching Christians for Jesus.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> I'm having and, – and, and for weeks and weeks and months and years, I talk about getting – I try to motivate Christians to go out there and do kingdom work. Nobody, but very few are going to do it. And I'm going, okay, what is the linchpin holding some of these people back? And one of them is that eschatology. So I'm going, right. oh, I haven't talked about it. Nobody knows what I believe on this. So I'm just going to preface it for two weeks, and then I'm going to just start hitting it and hammering it. And I'm going to only do it one time um, because, like I said, I, like, I don't have a, a set view on it. I, just, I, I, I have a casual view that I take on the issue um, in light of supporting the belief that the world can be transformed. That's what I'm, That's what I go after. It's trying to motivate Christians to believe that we can transform this planet. I mean, if, if I see that my actions can transform the future of somebody else's life, why in the world can that not be to the state of this planet? If, if non-believers are transforming this world in the negative, why in the world, if Christians rose up, why in the world can't they do this? Can't we have an attack the same way that the, 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 uh, uh, a dictator gets up and literally single-handedly shapes the future of a country for the for the next 40 or 50 years.
0: You know what is really interesting? I just thought of something. So I was talking to Jesse Berkey the other day and Jesse is working on a book and he submitted the manuscript to a literary agent uh, in the hopes that the literary agent would take it to a publisher. And the agent read through the manuscript and said, Jesse, you know, I understand what you're doing here. I I get it. I think you're a really gifted writer, but here is the reality that you have to live with. Publishing companies right now are not really interested in manuscripts that are transformational. They're interested in manuscripts that are essentially escapist because people they believe the publishers and editors believe that people really want are into escapism and they don't want, Anything that's going to actually transform people's lives,
1: right?
0: And Jesse came to me. and He goes, "Man, if this is true, we are so screwed." <laughs> he goes, "Are you serious?" Now I, I'm like, "Really? That, that's what the agent told you?" And, and my response was, "You're if you're a Christian writer or teacher, and and your thing is not all about transforming people's lives, then what are you writing about?" I mean, I really don't understand this. Because from my perspective, and I think yours perspective is the same one, if we are not all about writing things and teaching people things that transform our lives and then transform the culture, I really do not understand what the whole purpose of it is. And that's one of the things that you could sort of look at the uh, pre-tribulation eschatology is it is a form of escapism because, you know, in the end. Uh, What we're all trying to do is we're trying to escape this horrible thing that's coming. And uh, there is no impetus at all to transform the culture, to transform people, to change lives. And so I I personally, when I heard that from Jesse, I was like, wow, we really have things messed up. And I think that means all the more that people like you and I have to go after things that really are transformational and not giving people escapism.
1: Who's our enemy in this world?
0: (laughs) exactly
1: demons who wants to destroy it? demons who doesn't want us to fight demons who doesn't doesn't want us to cast them out demons what do they not want us to do transform what they've been trying to transform i mean it's not rocket science i mean figuring out why they would just want us to give up want us to quit so they can have control so they can do what they want to do
0: this is part of the process you and I had talked about you kind of getting more into teaching about some inner healing and deliverance things. Do you have any plans to in the future to uh, get into some of those subjects? Yeah.
1: Uh, I was, I have been contemplating on talking about the demonic again. I'm trying to figure out how to broach it again. I've got a lot of new followers. So when I list, when I try to talk about this stuff, I usually will prep, do some prep,
0: <laughs> uh, play some groundwork
1: yeah so they don't get freaked out and run away real quick you know because I'm I want them to listen I want them to hear I don't want everybody to just run away if, if I'm already speaking to people who already knows this then that's I mean, that's not for them I wanted to get for the people that don't know a lot of this stuff and, and, right. and would be open to it just to consider the fact I know there are people who are changing and I, I it encourages me to hear that that what I say does have an influence on them. Lets me know, okay, what I'm doing is working. That's my goal. It is to influence, to get them to take action, to do something. Uh, I, I want to start talking about this more. And I, I I definitely have been thinking more about writing a book. And I think if I if I did get the book and get or had a chance to to really get all that down, and I, I have more of a structure now how I want to do it. I want to get that out as soon as possible. As like we were talking before of, of a starter guide of just getting people to know the fundamentals of it. And I have, like I said, I have more of a structure of how I'd want to, want to write that out. And that's all I was having an issue with before was figuring out how to write something like that. So people would get a grasp on how to do it themselves, not telling them everything that they need to know because I think some of the issue was I got to tell them everything. They got to yeah. know it.
0: And you can't tell them everything. You give people the basics and they're going to learn a lot of it on the way as they do it. And, and that's how I learned it. So I want yeah. them to just go out there and learn how to get past all the
1: fears behind it and just start doing it themselves because it will, it will help them so much in their walk uh, like it did with me. It'll change a lot of their perspectives, a lot of their uh, religious beliefs they have and hold to that have never been challenged, that they've just been told what to believe, but never really seen if it works or not. So um, that's why I love that ministry. I love working with people with issues, the the emotional issues, the healing and figuring out why certain things aren't getting healed. I'll tell you one story that I was uh, working with somebody, and I remember we we were just ministering to each other. We were hanging out, talking. And as I was praying, I started praying and all of a sudden they started to shake and started getting really freaked out. And you could tell, like, they didn't want me around, this person. And all of a sudden it was a fragment that had come up and they were extremely scared. And they did not want me to be near them because they were experiencing a a horrible memory of some sort of abuse. And... I just took that part with that person and um, got to reintegrate it. And when they were done, they didn't even know what happened. But they noticed a huge change in the issue of intimacy and fear when people get close to them. You know, when you see results like that, when you see that there are things that we can do with people that can change them instantly emotionally like that, it makes this all worthwhile makes everything worthwhile when you see that we can just see people instantly change of some of these
0: long-term
1: problems that they've had. One time we were all playing in a room, and um, my friend said he saw a sword in the middle of the room. So I grabbed that sword, like prophetically, lifted it up, and, you know, like a child, you imagine that you have a sword in your hand. And so I went around, as you do, and stabbed everybody in the room like a sword. So I saw my buddy, and I stabbed him in the chest. And he goes, Whoa, you know, let this groan out. And a demon came out when I did that. <laughs> that <laughs> was awesome. go, all right, then I'm going to take this sword. I'm going to go stab my girlfriend. I stabbed her, and a demon came out of her. It was an instant
0: deliverance. Yeah.
1: So, and, and then I stabbed this other person, and a fragment came out. And I had to deal with that one for a little bit, but that one was really cool, uh, and interesting. And she got, you know, delivered of this stuff, whatever it was on her. And, uh, and, okay, this was the one I wanted to say. Uh, uh, my friend wanted to work with this fragment and this fragment had this issue of, of love. And he, he was just ticked off at everything in the world and all this. Man, I just want to give up a lot, lot of self-pity stuff. And, so I just said, well, here, I'm going to give you a hug. And he's like, no, 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 no. I go, "Nope, come here. And I grab him, and I just start hugging him like that. And I won't let him go. He's like, stop And all of a sudden, this demon starts coming up and, and pushes the fragment out of the way. And I just held him down on the ground like that. And I'm <laughs> hugging him like that, hugging him. And, and all of a sudden, the demon gets really mad and really angry. He's freaking out. And he's just getting, getting so mad at me. And so – I, I put him in this jujitsu move, and I and I lock my legs under his legs so he can't move because the demon starts really manifesting. Because I said right now, I said, um, uh, I said there's uh the love of uh, the water of life running through my body or something like that. And when I did that, the demon really felt it. So I started holding myself. I'm I'm holding laying on his body. So this is my friend not the person I just randomly
0: do deliverance on that Harley <laughs> note. <laughs> so, t- so, full, full contact deliverance. Full contact, yeah. So,
1: I mean, totally welcome. To this. So, I mean, this is how we, we, we love doing on, uh, we love experimenting like this. So, I'm on him and I'm locking him down because sometimes when a demon's manifesting like that, and it's hard to take authority over, you want to have people hold them Well. I'm just holding him down like this, and I'm just releasing this. This, this the, I just say the glory of God's coming out of me, and and I can see him like trying to grab my shirt and pull me off of him, scratch, trying to scratch my back, and then all of a sudden his arms go out like that, and two angels hold his arms down, and so he's like this, and then I said right now I just ask Jesus, the peace of God, come come in me right now, and all of a sudden. He calms down like that, and then I get off of him, and he's laying down with his arms spread out like a crucifix, and we just started talking, and and he's saying, "Man, that's crazy." He's like, "That part in me is really, really wounded." But the issue over this part was, "Oh, I remember what made that demon manifest. It was because I called out a a sexual succubus spirit."
0: Oh, okay.
1: Spirit is. For the listeners, uh, uh, it's a demon that that has sex with people, okay? Uh, a succubus typically having sex with a man, an incubus spirit having sex with a with a male, okay? And people who can feel in the spirit, that's a lot of the times that uh, demons will try to create that type of um, event for them.
0: Yeah. I, I, I had a woman that I transported in the ambulance a couple years ago. She had one she this uh incubus spirit had been having sex with her for over a year and it was to- it was tormenting her i mean because there was se- there was of course several spirits there and one of them was pretending to be her sister and the other one was pretending to be a murderer and she said i can hear this voice screaming which is like the voice of my sister as i hear this other voice saying that he's killing my sister and there's all this you know demonic stuff going on so uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that people yeah. a lot of people don't realize that that is very common. Yeah,
1: w- w- well, when I called that spirit up, that's when it started going insane. It started going crazy. So I I remember that demon was cussing when the angels held its arms down. It said, "You you effing lackeys, you effing lackeys."
0: <laughs> <laughs> lackeys. I, <know. laughs> I know. That's great. I heard that serves forever. And
1: so when I got up and my friend is on the on the ground with his arms out, he's he's uh, sitting right there and we're talking about this and he's saying I think this thing's going to take a little while to go, and maybe maybe it could take a week or whatever. We're trying to think about it and then he goes, well the angels are still holding my arms down, I can't get up, and I'm going, well maybe maybe we can not get it out now, let's try to do it. <laughs> so. I got back on, on him again, put him in the same hole, and I said, all right, let it go, Jesus. That demon came back up again. You know, I'm like, bucking it, you know, it's like, like being on a pole. And finally I started calling things up by word of knowledge, and then he's like, all right, get off me. And then the angels let him up, and then he just starts, stuff starts coming out. And, uh, and that really changed him that night. Uh, he hadn't felt freedom like that in, in a long time. Yeah. It was just a bunch of stuff that came out, and then we, oh, when we were done, I had the fragment come up after we got rid of those demons, and then the fragment, who had all the self-pity and anger and all this stuff, was transformed after the demons were gone. But sometimes what demons will do is, I'm not saying that they're literally doing this, but like imagine having wires being stuck in your head, and all of a sudden it's feeding in chemicals, and it's changing your behavior. Well, once you remove the demons, a lot of times I've seen it where the fragments change their behavior almost instantly, like the person would. Right. And the fragment was now open to Jesus, where it wasn't open to Jesus, and it wanted love. And I remember just standing up and giving that him a hug while his fragment was up and manifesting. And then I just reintegrated it right there. And my friend said he could see this huge heart open it, coming at him and then opening up like a door. Like that, and then the fragment just getting sucked into
0: it. Interesting. Now, you generally do not integrate fragments uh, and alters until they have been transformed and healed and discipled. Uh,
1: not always, because um, there's sometimes there's those exceptions where I'm dealing with a real young fragment, and sometimes we just want to get them out of out of the uh, environment. Um, it's usually the ones. That are older, they're not ready to make decisions. Like the fra- some fragments are like, okay, I'll do whatever, you know. But the ones that have a lot of hesitation, and you can see it in their will, then we got to work with them, just like a non-believer. Like they don't want to accept Jesus, so I mean, can't make them come to church or anything like that. They got to want to do it. And right. so, um, so some of them will take time. And then sometimes I get, I can keep them up for a little bit and get information from them.
0: And (laughs) that's a whole other story.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because they will get some cool information because Jesus will share it with them. Just like if I talk to a Christian that they prayed and God showed them some amazing things. Well, I mean, if you're spending time with Jesus, you're going to learn something.
0: Cool, man. Thanks. It was good talking with you. Yeah, you too. All right, man. All right. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.